Welcome to the Vine Church Podcast. Today we have my new friend, Janie Ortland, and she's written a book for Crossway called Help, I'm Married to My Pastor. <laughs> Janie, that is a provocative title. Um, and so I'm looking forward to, to diving into this book with you, Janie. But just tell us a little bit about yourself, uh, who you are and what makes you tick and um, maybe just, yeah, anything you want to share to help the Vine Church get to know you a little bit. Oh, thank you. It's such a pleasure to be your guest today. And I wish we could see each other and the, your listeners face to face, but this is a good way to begin a relationship. Um, what would your listeners want to know about me? Ray and I are celebrating our 50th wedding anniversary this year. We have four grown children, all married, and 15 grandchildren. Oh, wow. So our family has brought us a lot of joy. At this time, Zach, they're all walking with the Lord, mm-hmm. and we praise God for that. We have been in ministry uh, since the first day of our marriage. I-, I married Ray when he was in seminary. I knew he was headed to ministry. And... Um, what would your listeners like to know about me? If I had a day off, yes. this is what I would want to do. First of all, even though I'm in my 70s, I would love to go horseback riding. I love <laughs> horses. We used to have a horse when we lived in Scotland. I'd love to do some show jumping and just enjoy oh, wow. that. That would be in the morning. Then in the afternoon, we'd have a family gathering. Our children live in London, California, Illinois. They live far away from Tennessee, where I'm located. Wow. And we miss them, but somehow the Lord would bring all of us together and we'd have a wonderful afternoon together. Then that night, I would have time just with Ray. Yeah. My pastor husband still is very busy, even though he's in his early 70s. Yeah. And it would be wonderful for us to have a date night together. So that would be a perfect day for me. Maybe that would. That yeah. listeners in. I love it. I love it. Um, let me just ask you a couple other informal questions just to help us get to know you. These are some of the questions that I ask in our small groups just to kind of break the ice and help our small group. Um, our small groups kind of grease the wheels a little bit for conversation. Here, here's a question that I love to ask, uh, kind of silly, but let's say you were on some restricted diet where you could only eat like vegetables and and fruit or something. What's the one food that if you saw that, um, you would be most tempted to say, forget this diet. I'm going to break the rules. I'm going to break this diet and I'm going to eat that because it's so tempting. I can't say no to it. Absolutely. Ice cream. Really? I am an ice cream lover. Ask any of my children or family members. They know any kind of ice cream. Um, I could name. There's not a, there's not a favorite. Uh, well, I do like chocolate mint, mint chocolate chip. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But just about any kind, I love it for some reason. In any brand, I'll go from (laughs) Dairy Queen to Baskin Robbins to store bought ice cream. You know, I love it. Okay, let me give you another one. 
let's say your 15 year old self had to get a tattoo. <laughs> Was what, forced into it. Yeah, you, you just had to pick something. You had to pick something. What would your 15 year old self get a tattoo of? Are you asking me what was I like at 15 or what would yeah, I like? Yeah, like like typically when life? typical typically when people like I'll answer for myself. Um typically when people get tattoos it's a it's a, a statement of some sort <laughs> based on their passions or interests. Um for me at 15 I was fanatical about being a basketball player and I was fanatical about Christian music especially the band DC Talk. So I'd probably get a basketball with DC Talk written on it. <laughs> I mean, that's a, that's a perfect reflection of who I was at 15. Okay, who was I at 15? You expect a lady in her 70s <laughs> to remember back then? I can, actually. I was living in Minneapolis with my family. We were becoming believers one by one, my father last of all. So when I was 15... I probably would get a tattoo of cheerleading. Yes. Because I so longed to be a cheerleader. Eventually, I did qualify my you senior did. year, but I would probably have some sort of rah, rah, rah. So <laughs> did you have to that. try out to make the cheerleading team? Oh, yes. Really? Oh, my goodness. Yes. Very difficult tryouts. So was it like, how, what were they measuring? Like your... Um, like athletic ability. Could I do flips, handsprings? Okay. So gymnastics stuff. Gymnastics. And all my friends had taken gymnastics. I hadn't. So they would help me, but I didn't quite make it. I was an alternate my junior year and full grown cheerleader my <laughs> senior year. But at 15, I would have probably had tattooed on some sort of cheerleading. Like some pom-poms or something. Really important. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. All right, one more. Um, you have a, let's just say somewhat of a limitless budget and you can go on a 10 day vacation anywhere in the world with Ray, just you and Ray. What would you do and where would you go for 10 days? And it has to be a place that you haven't been before. Oh, that we haven't been. Yeah. So you're dreaming now. I'm dreaming. Okay, well, we've traveled extensively in our life. Let me think. Mm. I think I would want to go somewhere in Europe that we haven't been. Uh, probably Wales. Yeah. We've lived in Scotland for, yep. for quite a while, but I'd love to spend 10 days in Wales with Ray, relaxing, walking, in, enjoying the native people, yeah. talking with them, reading, yep. enjoying the high tea and the wonderful food. Yeah, Wales, I think, would be it. Okay, that's good. Well, that helps us get to know you a little better, Jenny. That's great. Um, Besides, Zach, I wouldn't have to worry about not speaking the language yes so you I guys, might not understand the accent but right no I I know I know how that works um so you guys have traveled a lot in Europe yes actually we've traveled all over I've I've been in Japan Ray has not we've been in China uh we've been in Israel 
Uh, Ray has been in Africa. We've been in several places in uh, Europe, South America, Canada. So we really like our home here in Nashville. Yeah. We're glad to be here. Yeah, I uh, I have a bit of a love affair with Europe, and I've only been to France. Um, but uh, have you not been to London? No, but I wanted to ask you, like, what's your favorite? Uh, what's your favorite city in Europe? Well, it's between Zurich and London. I would have to say London because our oldest son is there teaching at a seminary there at a, a, a school. And we just love it. It's a fascinating city yeah. full of history. Yep. And um, I understand the language. <laughs> right. I'm married to a linguist. He can make his way in just about any language, but wow. I am strictly English speaking. Sure. Um, so I'd love to go there. Yeah, my, my dad traveled a lot in Europe, and he said that London was his favorite city. Really? Um, and so I'm, I'm going to have to put that on the list. But I, I speak <laughs> French, and so um, I, I'm just, I love French culture and food and wine and architecture and the vineyards uh -huh. in the South. And it's, anyway. We have had, you and Kim been there? Yeah, we went there for our 20th anniversary for 10 days. And um, we have a, a a missions partnership in Morocco. Uh -huh. So oftentimes we fly through Paris on our way to Morocco just to kind of stay for a day or two to get our head on straight before we hit the ground, you know, because of the time change. Yes. yes. Uh, just to get our head on straight before we hit the ground to serve in Morocco. So Wonderful. Yeah. So, Jenny, tell us, I'm, I'm curious, um, how did you become a Christian? Um, tell us just a little bit about your testimony. Well, I, I thank God for this story. He is all over it, Zach. When I was two years old, my family moved from Chicago, Illinois, to Minneapolis. And um, my mom had grown up in a family where they would occasionally go to church. There was a Bible teaching church just four blocks from us, mm -hmm. a, a Baptist church, a conservative Baptist church. And mom started taking us. Dad didn't go much at all, but she would take us, drop us off at Sunday school. She had a beautiful voice and was interested in the choir. Mm -hmm. So mom was the first one who came to Christ in our family through the ministry of the choir, through the words she sang. Wow. And that one by one, we four children, uh, I was number three out of four kids, came to faith in Christ through the ministry of the Sunday school there, Zach. Hmm. Um, and my heart is still very warmed toward children's ministries. Wherever we've ministered, I've wanted to, to help there because of the influence it had on my life. When I was 13, my dad became a Christian. Okay. So I did not grow up in a home where my father led us in, in the word, but there were many leaders at our church uh, who cared for our family, cared for me as a young person. I'm so grateful. Yeah. Yeah. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. So how did, how did your father, like what, what, convinced him i mean obviously it's the holy spirit we know theologically but like how would he describe his conversion well he's with the lord now i think he would describe it this way he couldn't say no any longer hmm. um he saw his four children by then uh his oldest son my my 
elder brother was gone to college and my next brother was in high school. Um, he saw their hearts for Christ. Uh, he saw me and my younger sister living for the Lord, going to Christian camp, memorizing scripture, praying. Uh, he would occasionally come to church, not frequently. And one night, our pastor, Winthrop Robinson, came to visit with him. Hmm. I remember my sister, my mom, and I were the only ones at home at that time. And we slipped into another room and just prayed. Wow. And Pastor Robinson sat down with dad on our living room couch and said, Jerry, what are you waiting for? Hmm. What is it that is keeping you? And my father said, okay, I surrender. And it was a slow growth, but he was baptized after that. And he came to study the Bible and enter into church life more. Men invested in him. Yeah. So it actually was a pastoral call, Zach. Yeah, yeah. visitation. Isn't that wonderful? Yeah, I mean, we don't, I don't think we, pastors today don't think about visitation in the same way that pastors two generations ago you know, as I hear people talk about yeah. pastoring two generations ago, um, it was structured a little bit different. But man, just the just the the primacy of evangelism, and and that's honestly why I like to ask people. I ask people a lot about their testimony because I think it's really important for us to hear conversion stories as fuel on the fire of evangelism. Because sometimes it's it's easy as our as our culture becomes more and more post Christian to just think like, does God still convert people, you know? Mm -hmm. And, um, especially where we live, maybe in Nashville, it's different. I, I've, I've lived in Nashville in the past, um, for a couple of years and I know the Southern culture is a little different than where I live. Um, but in Madison where it's very post-Christian, um, it's just important to hear that God does still convert people. And, um, rem and that's, I think, I think, uh, hearing people's testimonies is a great way to, to spur us on. In, yes. Uh, in sharing our faith. Yes. So. I'm so grateful for our, our local church. I think one of the reasons that God moved us out of Chicago to Minneapolis was to win our hearts to him as a family. Yeah. Yeah. That's beautiful. So, Jenny, let's talk about your book, um, Help, I'm Married to My Pastor, subtitle, Encouragement for Ministry Wives and Those Who Love Them. So is this your first book? Uh, no, actually, it's my fourth. Oh, wow. I'm sorry. <laughs> I didn't oh, do my no, research. Oh, no, that's all right. The title is catchy enough that, yeah. you know, the other titles weren't. I've written one children's book and I've written two other books for women, kind of Bible study. Type yeah, book. I should have done my research more. I'm sorry. Oh, um, not at all, Zach. Yeah. There's, you've got enough to do without thinking <laughs> about this older woman's books that she's written. <laughs> um, yeah, so just tell us about how this book came about and what... Um, like maybe tell us a little bit about your process of, of um, like how how does it go from I'm I would imagine you're having a lot of these conversations with pastors' wives to like an idea to actually sending a manuscript to Crossway. Like how does that process work? How did that happen for this book? Well, I think it all started as Ray and I became. Uh, more the elder saints in the churches right. and we were asked to speak at various conferences i would often have a session alone with the pastor wives and 
the difficulties that they verbalized um, kept recurring, you know, marital, children, um, rumors, yeah. uh, all of these things, even just their own relationship with the Lord. Yeah. And, uh, and so I thought it would be good to put some of these talks into a, a short book that a pastor's wife could pick up and feel that she's not alone. Yes. Because I feel being a pastor's wife is one of the most lonely positions in Christian ministry. Yeah. Uh, your husband, I, I don't know about you and, and Kim, I don't know Kim well, Zach, but uh, there, a lot is placed on the pastor's wife that no one else knows. Sure. The pastor does sometimes, but if a wife of a pastor is supportive, she bears a heavy burden. Yeah. And what I wanted to do through this was get in writing some of my messages. So when I couldn't go speak, there would be something I, I could send a friend who's in ministry and yeah. say, hey, you want to read this and we'll talk about it. it. I also wrote it because I find it's hard for a pastor's wife to open up to her husband. Why about do you think that is? Because she sees how hard he's working. She sees how many come to him for counsel. And she wants to support him, not drain him. Right. Um, she also knows, ultimately, her relationship with the Lord is key. Yeah. That's more important than a relationship with her husband or with her children or with her church members. So, you know, she's trying to settle on that, but it's hard for her. I, at least I found it hard for me, Zach. I, I don't know about Kim, but I just don't want to burden Ray. Sure. He's got enough on his plate. I want to be a burden lifter. Sure. I want to encourage him. Yep. But so when I would talk to another pastor's wife and she got it, it was like, oh, there's someone else who's feeling that. Right. What I wanted to do was this. I wanted younger pastor wives to know they're not alone yes there's someone out there who's walked through some of these tricky situations and says i get it and god is there for you yes look to him yes well you touch on something that really hits home for kim and i you know when you say um you know i don't want to burden him and and, and you know i i know kim can relate to that especially when i've had i've hit some really lows in ministry which happens to everybody the challenge, though, is like this kind of catch-22, where if she doesn't share with me, then there's an obstacle to our oneness and our intimacy, you know, in terms of um, just being transparent with each other. Like, you know, mm -hmm. we want to live our marriage with nothing to hide. Like, we're not hiding. Like, the, the, the first sin in the garden is, well, not the first sin, but one of the main sins in the garden is the hiding. They're hiding mm -hmm. from each other with clothes and, and from the Lord. And... And so we've really struggled at times with how to navigate that because on the one hand, like you said, there's a lot going on and there's at times unique emotional burdens you bear. But if we don't enter in with one another, then there's a, there's a barrier to our intimacy and it's yes. like we're kind of hiding from each other. Mm -hmm. um, and I'll, I'll even describe it a step further. I mean, I talked I talk about this with some of my pastor friends where, 
for me as a pastor, sometimes it's hard to know when I should share with my wife everything that's going on and when I shouldn't. Mm-hmm. Because I, I want to be fully known by her and I want to allow her to enter in to my deepest pains and pray for me and give me counsel. But I've been hashing through this stuff in my head and maybe with the elders or the staff, you know, all day long. I'm not sure I want to come home and hash it again. And if I have something that's, for example, like let's say I'm being criticized in a way that um, feels unjust or something. I'm already bearing the weight of that. And if I share it with Kim, then she's going to get mama bear for me. You know what I mean? But then her emotions are up and I don't want to deal with any more high emotions because my, my, I'm already racing at 6,000 RPMs internally, and I need her RPMs to be at 1,000 just to help me feel calm. <laughs> but again, I want to share with her. And so it's just like you're kind of stuck sometimes with what do I share, what do I not share? And it's a, it's a unique challenge, you know? It is. Yeah, because in any marriage, you want clarity between the two of you. You want an open door to say anything. Mm-hmm. At the same time, as you say, there's some things that if you begin sharing them, uh, I, I know in our marriage, let me just say, when Ray has come home after a very long day and perhaps an elders meeting till 10 at night, I'm waking right. up for him. I'm all anxious to hear yes. what happened. You know, was someone fired or what about this right. situation right. or, you know, the budget or whatever. Right. And he is so exhausted. It really takes time to work through how best to share. And I think that's hardest on the wife Mm -hmm. because the husband is there. He has avenues, maybe an assistant pastor, um, maybe an elder. The wife is pretty much isolated. Right. And so Ray and I, through the years, we have really had to learn um, how how for me to be freed from trying to fix his discouragement or his depression, yep. but just come alongside him and walk with him as best I can, not demanding more from him. Yep. That's been the hardest thing for me, Zach. I don't know about Kim because I'm very curious. Right. I want to know. Someone, you know, my hackles. Right. Right. Someone did what you, they said. What I'm going to exactly. go in my exactly. closet now. Yeah, yeah. Um, so what I have found the most helpful for as being a pastor's wife is my relationship to God has to come first. Amen. Um, Psalm 62, one, my soul finds rest in God alone. Amen. And when Ray comes home and, you know, I just, I'm so agitated because I want to know what's been going on. Okay, my soul finds rest, God, in that you've given me a man who's ministering. I'm going to leave him with you for tonight. And if he wants to talk in the morning, then help me to sleep right? and not fuss. Amen. One of the things that Kim and I have just kind of discovered is um, we just, it, this is so simple, but it's so helpful. When either one of us, and this is just like a marriage principle, when either mm-hmm. one of us is feeling emotionally spent or exhausted, Instead of just focusing on, hey, I want you to talk to me right now, or I need you to articulate so-and-so right now because I'm, I'm really um, interested, or you're, you're feeling really hurt about something, um, 
is this a time for me to just listen? Is this a time for me to just give you space? Is this a time for me to engage and try to solve the problem? And just asking that question mm. before, like, so I might come home uh, and she can tell that I'm just like wiped. She might say, hey, do you want to talk right now? Or would you rather just be quiet? You know it's what I mean? So and just, just asking the question. And then that kind of sets the table for, yeah, I do want to talk right now and I really need your wisdom. Or no, I just, I just need a, a place to decompress right now and I bet I'll be ready to articulate some thoughts in 24 hours. You know, just setting the expectations with one another um, mm -hmm. by asking permission for what does the other person want um, has been so simple it's kind of like duh but for kim and i that's been a a game changer you know just that to, is wonderful i know. hope your married couples are listening to that it's not just in ministry right that's a wonderful marriage principle right. for any couple yeah i i it's it's blessed us and 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 be sure to know that like it's taken years <laughs> to figure that out and a lot of bumps along the way you know so what was the question Kim would ask you? Well, again? it'd just be a variety. The whole point is how, how can I best serve the other person right now? Mm -hmm. And then, and then asking a question that allows them to set the table. So, mm -hmm. so like I'll flip the tables. What I might do, I can tell Kim is really hurting. For example, uh, maybe she had a, a bad phone call with a family member or mm -hmm. she um, is just really struggling with something at work. And I come home and she's just down instead yeah. of saying, babe, what's going on? Tell me everything. Mm -hmm. I might say, honey, what do you need from me right now? Would you mm -hmm. prefer for me just to hold you? Would you prefer me to just listen? Do you need to process? Like for Kim, she just needs oftentimes to have me listen and she just needs to process it. And she knows the answer. And if I just listen and she'll talk, she'll come to the answer just through processing it. She doesn't need me to say anything. Or she might meet, need me to help. Like, babe, is this a time for me to enter in and um, help solve the problem? Or would you mm -hmm. rather me not solve it? I mean, most men get into solve it mode immediately. Right. <laughs> and and most women, generally speaking, that's not the first thing they want, you know. Mm -hmm. So just asking, how can I best serve you right now? As opposed to just forcing them to talk um, yeah. or yeah. or ignoring them. You know what I mean? Because other, other guys, I might be the kind that wants to force them to talk. Other guys uh -huh. might just... Oh, okay, whatever. I'm on to my next thing. But just, yeah. I'm going to communicate that I love you, um, but I'm going to allow you to set the terms of how my love gets expressed, whether it's mm -hmm. listening or solving or being quiet or just, I need you to hug me right now or whatever. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's so good, Zach. Well, <laughs> I want to get back to you, though. Um, no, I, I love this. This is helpful. <laughs> here's my question for you, Janny. Can you think of now? Let me back up. Um, I know that that Ray taught in a seminary for a while, right? Correct. Nine and, years okay. at Trinity Evangelical Divinity School outside of Chicago. And then, the, would the majority of your marriage be him pastoring? Other than that, yes. Okay, so were you? Um, when you were first married in your 20s, uh, was he pastoring then? Youth pastoring. Uh, we got married in his first year of seminary. It was a four-year program. Okay. And uh, he was 
a youth pastor. He he did help at another church and then became youth pastor for the last two years we were there. So in a way, yes. I mean, he had oversight. Yep. I guess my question for you, Janie, is as you think back to those early years of him being a pastor, whether it's lead pastor or youth pastor, was there a moment when you, when it dawned on you that, wow, being married to a pastor might not be what I thought it was? Or uh, to to phrase it differently, maybe you thought um, when you married Ray, like being a pastor's wife is going to be like this. And you had all these expectations and then you got into it a decade or 15 years later and you're like, oh, wow, this wasn't what I expected. Um, Can you put yourself back in your own shoes back then? And Yes, yes. It, It may have been easier for me, Zach, than most of your listeners, for one thing, I knew Ray was headed to ministry when mm-hmm. we fell in love. Yeah. So I embraced that from the beginning. And when we went to seminary, there was a wonderful wives program mm-hmm. where we we came once a week, met together, were taught by professors and then met in small groups. So there was good training there. And then our very first ministry after seminary was at a larger church in Northern California. Ray was one of 15 on staff. And uh, there was a group of four pastors. Ray was one of them overseeing a certain part of the ministry. And one of the older, elder pastor wives took me under her wing. Oh, wow. And and helped me. So I it wasn't like some of your listeners or many pastors' wives they graduate from seminary and they're out either planting a church right. or on their own, the only pastor. Uh, I was surrounded by other pastor wives. I still am in communication with this older pastor's wife. Oh, she's wow. 15 years older than me. She's still, I can still go to her for advice. The other thing that might be a little bit different in my experience, Zach, is that uh, Ray comes from a ministry family. His mom and dad, his dad was a pastor, and his mother was really good to me, very close to me, very helpful. I could always go to her for advice as well. So I didn't feel particularly alone. I I struggled at times, um, for sure. What were some of the hardest things for you, like, um, that you just remember like, what are your first memories of the struggle when it hits you? Like, okay, being a pastor's wife is 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 unique. Do you remember? Yeah. Yes. The hardest thing for me was being um, the stepping stone to Ray from many people in our congregation. And therefore, they would try to get messages to Ray through me. Gotcha. Um, either tell me what they liked or didn't like. And I became that mouthpiece. Oh, that's that's not a good and place to be. No, as you know, um, I remember one Sunday in particular, and this was quite a long time into our ministry. Ray was very long suffering with me. We had been married now for uh, almost 30 years and in ministry the whole time. It was a Sunday night. He was pastoring a large church and uh, he was leading two services in the morning and then an evening service as well. I mean, his Sundays were hard. Then we take Monday off. Right. And there had been a couple people who 
came to me with suggestions, you know, right. for their pastor. Right. Um, and of course, I always felt burdened to give Ray those suggestions because right. then those people would be happy. We could right. fix it. I have fix and fever. And I was chattering away that Sunday night. And I mentioned this in the book. I remember Ray coming to me as I'm talking. It's like 930 on a Sunday night and just gently taking my face and having me look into his eyes. And eventually I stopped talking and he said, honey, I just need you to know one thing. I said, what's that? He said, I know I've got a lot to improve on, but I just need one person on the face of this earth who isn't trying to fix me. Yeah. Would you be willing to be that person? <laughs> and I thought, oh boy, howdy, I don't want anybody else stepping up to that position. Yeah. And the Lord helped me there, Zach. I call it fix him fever. Sure. I write about it in the book. Because somehow when we see something that our husband could change that might please someone, we feel it's our responsibility to tell him. Right. I say no. No, let the either let the Lord tell him or let someone else tell him. You just be his support. Sure. Be there for him. If he wants to talk about it, great. I mean, it's not like I'm afraid to tell Ray my opinion. Sure. But I do not want to be the bridge from disgruntled people to my husband's heart. Right. He's got enough people like that. Right. So that was one of the things I really needed to learn early on that fix him fever has no place in the heart of a pastor's wife. Yeah. And I would imagine that doesn't mean that you don't ever talk about hard things or or, or disagree. You know, right. Disagree or, you know, yeah. challenge one another sometimes, you know, if there's a sin issue flying around in your marriage or your family. Yes. But it's I, I think I'm hearing you say like it's a it's a default setting. Like what's my default setting towards my spouse? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's really, really helpful. Is my default setting one of encouragement and support and. Um, yeah, that's really, really good. That's really good. What other what other. What are the themes do you see just kind of cropping up over and over again as you have these conversations? Um, because I think what would what would help um, is for congregation members to just kind of have a look into this that they probably don't usually have access to, and so us having this congregate or having this conversation um, can give them a window into something that might not often be seen. So what are some other themes that come up that you write about in your book that you think are most important for congregation members to think about on this topic? Well, of course, my heart goes out to children. Maybe we can circle back to that. But as relates uh, to the minister himself, the pastor himself, I just think it's important for us all to remember that ministry is a crisis vocation. Sure. Um, you know, we have other vocations that are deal with crises, policemen, firemen, right. they're in the, you know, soldiers. There, there are a lot of people who are in the line of fire. But ministers minister 24-7. It's not like they can go home from work. Right. Uh, and I think I think it's important. 
for uh, your people to know that a pastor's wife has so many people coming at her, mm-hmm. so many people wanting to get at the pastor, and they're all dealing with crises. Yeah. And your husband, the pastor's wife, is fielding some of them, telling them, you better go see him. I, I don't want to be the bridge to that. I think it's better. Here's his uh, assistant's number. Set up an appointment. That's how it can work. Sure. Um, so I needed to to coach myself as a pastor's wife into asking myself this question. What drains me? Hmm. What drains Ray? What sucks the life out of us? And then we had to decide um, to choose which situations I would let become an emergency. Sure. There are some Absolutely. that I would I would say, Ray, I need to talk to you about this. Mrs. So-and-so came to me and we need to talk. Yep. Um, and I would have to, I, I would also have to make sure that, that we practiced a Sabbath rest. Yeah. On ours, when we were pastoring full-time, we found it a little bit difficult since our ministry is different now, the last two years in our 70s. But we had to practice a Sabbath rest. There had to be periods of catch-up time with Ray. I, I couldn't be a loner. Um, if Ray didn't have time to care for me in certain ways, I would develop a relationship with another pastor's wife. Sure. I don't know about Kim, but it, I don't know if she has friendships with other pastor wives that helped me through the years, Zach. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's really good. Um, yeah. I, th- I think about um, pastoring, like you said, being a crisis occupation. And I think that's really a, a helpful way to articulate it. And the way that I try to describe it to people is it's not that I, um, some pastors overwork and work 70 hours a week. And that, that may be connected to a whole host of host, uh, heart issues on why you're working 70 hours a week. And some of them may be good and some of them may be really bad. I don't work 70 hours a week. Um, I'm pretty disciplined with my schedule. Um, I don't feel like pastoring is the hardest job in the world. I, th- I can think of a lot of other hard jobs, but I do think it's unique in my experience now doing this for, you know, a couple decades that pastoring is like parenting. And in that sense, it's unrelenting, mm-hmm. you know, um, you're always a parent and I, my, I have one, you have four that are adults. I have one that's an adult now and it's like, it never stops. You know, um, (laughs) in in terms of the emotional weight that you carry because you love these kids so much. Yes. And I think that's the thing that most people, it's hard to see because you can't quantify it. But pastoring is like that. I mean, I do love this church. I I pray that God would give me a heart to love these people. Yes. um, Genuinely. And I feel that responsibility biblically for a shepherd that, you know, that loves his people. Mm-hmm. But because of that, um, it is unrelenting. You know, you never, you're never not pastoring, just like you're never not parenting. Yes. Now, of course, there's strategies to make that healthy and and all that. 
but what when it really is challenging is when there is the crisis. You know, like oftentimes I say, I'll spend a whole day's worth of emotional energy in one hour meeting sometimes. Yes. And that is unique, I think. Um, and God forbid we ever have to bury an infant or God forbid we ever um, have some other horrible tragedy like that. Yes. Um, that makes your job unique because you mm-hmm. are really caring for these people. Like if if um, my own son someday has a horrible crisis like that, I mean, I will bear that uniquely. Mm-hmm. And people in my church aren't the same as my son, but it's God willing, it's a close proximity, you know, mm-hmm. um, if, I, if I really love these people. And so in that sense, I, I just think um, I really affirm what you said about, and then if the wife is in lockstep with the pastors who's bearing that, um, she bears that too, because we're one flesh. Yes. You know? Yes. Well, it's true. And a wife does bear that sometimes at a, I would say maybe not a deeper level, but really a more intense level Mm -hmm. than the pastor does because, uh, he goes back to work and is interacting with others and hears how it's being solved or has someone come along and she's still at home kind of praying over it and yes. anxious for her husband. So I just, I think it's really important for pastor wives um, to walk very closely mm-hmm. with the Lord and, and to remember uh, where is it? First Corinthians 15, that in the Lord, your labor is never in vain. Yes. He's, at all. He sees what your husband is doing. He sees what your people are doing, how they're uh, trying to labor for the Lord. And it's never in vain. Right. Um, Yeah. Amen. I I, I totally believe that. And I think that's a really, really good exhortation. Um, We have to remember that. Like, and and what you're talking about is perseverance. And And I feel like, um, that's a very underappreciated biblical value for anybody in ministry is just the, I mean, you guys are living it. You're in your seventies. You're still married. You're still serving the Lord in ministry. Oh, um, we thank him for that. Know? But like, man, I, I just look at, um, I look at situation. I mean, I'm old enough now at 44 to have seen guys come and go in ministry. Yes. yes. And in your twenties, you don't think that that's going to happen or you're not paying attention. Um, but man, I just feel like these days, if a, a pastor and his wife can stay married mm-hmm. and can just try to love and disciple their kids as best they can, yes. and they can just try to love and disciple a congregation as best they can. Mm-hmm. And if they can make it to 70 with those things intact, that's a win. You know it what I mean? Is. Day what, by day. <laughs> in my in my in my uh, 20s and 30s, I didn't define that as the win. Yes. You know, but I'm learning that those things can't be taken for granted. You know, the, mm-hmm. the path of perseverance. You know, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. just know that that people look to you and Ray and are inspired by your perseverance. You know, because oh. we know you've been through valleys, a lot of valleys. We have, but we thank the Lord. We're so grateful. Um, 
God, where is it? Ephesians 2 that talks about God preparing beforehand. Yeah, Ephesians 2.10, yep. That we should work in them and we should walk in them. Yep. So if he prepared them beforehand, all we need to do, what, let me say it this way, what might feel good to us might not be what's best in the whole situation. Amen. Um, as you say, we've walked through some valleys, but God created those valleys and there were good, there were good works in those valleys yep. that we were to walk in yep. because God created them beforehand and he, he saw us through. He is so faithful. Yes. He is so worth it. Yes. Um, you know, another verse that really settles on us as we're in our 70s is from Psalm uh, 84. I think it's verse 11. For the Lord is a sun and a shield. I mean, he, yes. he shines light and he protects. Yes. Uh, the Lord... Uh, I think it says bestows favor, you know, helping us along and yep. honor. Yep. Now we, we don't always feel that honor, but he's bestowing it on his servants. And then this, no good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. Mm -hmm. So if I believe scriptures act, then I believe that all the ups and downs are good from his hand. Yeah. He will turn them into good, mm -hmm. um, even if they may have been instigated out of evil, even if it may be a, a lie that yep. started this evil against us or, you know, whatever the difficulty is. But no good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. So what is our role as pastor wives married to men who are trying to leave, lead, lead the Church of Christ? Believe it. Yeah. Amen. Okay, Lord, this difficulty, this firing, we're, we're fired. No good thing. Do you withhold? This doesn't feel good, but I'm not going to give up on you. I'm going to keep walking through this yes. because you're my son and you're my shield. Son, S-U-N. Amen. Amen. Yeah, that's so good. That's so good, Janie. Thank you for exhorting us. I mean, I need to hear that. I need to hear that. Uh, so I, I do too. That. I appreciate that. So... We have um, a lot of young couples at our church, and by young, I mean like a dominant demographic might be early 30s, late 20s. I've got a, a three-year-old and a newborn. That's the kind of stage of life for a lot of our people. Um, what's, what's something that you think is, is most important in that stage of life for young moms uh, Maybe we can just switch gears and not just talk about pastors' wives, but wives in general. Um, what, what do you think is something that is, as you think back about that stage in life, um, just for them to 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 be encouraged by? How how would, how do you like to encourage young women in that stage? What do you what do you say to them? What do you see in them, um, especially women in today's world? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I would say, uh, no matter what, your relationship with the Lord is most important. It's more important than your relationship with your husband. Mm -hmm. It's more important than your relationship with your children or with your friends, much as your husband or, or friends or mom would encourage you. Um, 
ultimately your relationship with the Lord is the only eternal one, so to speak. (laughs) Um, Therefore, be with him. Develop it. Make that top priority. It is so hard with little ones. We had our first three in less than three years. And actually, I was pregnant four times uh, during those three years. We lost a baby at six months and um, at six months in utero, not, not a live birth. And those were hard years for me. It was hard for me to get in, in the word, Zach. Yeah. It's hard for young moms because as soon as they get up, a baby starts crying. Right. Or as soon as they sit down, they fall asleep. Right. It's exhausting. So what I needed to do, and this was very helpful for me, I found a friend, another Christian mom who had two young children. I had three little ones about the same age. We exchanged mornings, Tuesday mornings. Every other Tuesday morning, I kept her two. Yep. And the opposing Tuesday mornings, she kept my three. And we made a promise to each other. Sometimes this helps. We said, we're going to do this for the next nine months, the school year. And we're going to promise each other that once we drop our kids off, we're going to find a place. Maybe it's a restaurant somewhere, not nowadays, but somewhere where we can go and be alone. And we're going to spend that time with the Lord. Yes. We're not going to answer. We didn't have email back then, but <laughs> yeah. we, you know, we weren't going to answer phones or anything. We yep. weren't going to be at our desk. We're going to be with our Bible and books and prayer so that really it wasn't that much. It was two Tuesday mornings, ended up being four hours a month. <laughs> yep. That's not that much, but that saved my myself in yeah. many ways. So I would encourage young moms just because you cannot meet, I, I still tried to meet with the Lord daily, but couldn't always. There yeah. was usually an emergency of, you know, ear infection with one of the kids or teething or whatever. Yep. I still knew on Tuesday mornings with Charlene, I would have her kids or she would have mine. And we were committed to that. I would encourage your young moms to think creatively and then make a commitment. It doesn't have to be a long time commitment. Sure. You know, maybe it could be a three-month commitment. Would you be willing to to do this with me for three months? And just see what the Lord might do. Amen. Amen. Yeah, we did a similar thing um, with date nights for our marriage is we swap kids because at the time, um, you know, a regular date night might have been a little too expensive to pay a babysitter and have a, a date night, you know. So we did, when our kids were little, we did the date night swaps in the same way. Um, but yeah, let's 50 years of marriage, Jenny, like that's beautiful. And, um, I I pray that God would grant that for my wife and I, for Kim and I, um, you know, we, we don't know that many people that have been married 50 years because of one reason or another. Mm -hmm. Um, it's just rare these days. Um, I'm so grateful. I cannot tell you how grateful I am. Yeah. Yeah. As you think about again, let's just help help younger younger marriages um, coach us up a little bit. Um, what are some of the things you know that that you guys learned along the way that hey, if we're going to make it in marriage, these are some pillars that have to be set in place for us to make it. Like Kim and I, you know, in twenty three years, um, almost twenty three, uh, 
you know, we've got some pillars in mind that we've learned through suffering and doing it wrong, you know. Um, mm-hmm. But I'd love to hear what, what you and Ray would say about, um, you know, these things that give us perseverance in marriage that help us keep going and not give up. Well, we have talked already about our relationship with the Lord. Right. And we know what he says about divorce. Right. um, That it is not his best plan. Sometimes people do need to divorce, and he did make some exceptions there. Right. But um, Ray came from a family with a very strong marriage. So he was able to lead me well. Mm -hmm. And we promised each other early on we would not use the word divorce. We would not threaten each other with that. Mm-hmm. Now, we had arguments more so early on. I, I remember even when our kids were in elementary school, one day we had an argument that lasted three days. Do you yeah. know how you kind of bristle and you're just kind of cool? The warmth isn't there. Right. Um, and I don't know what advice I would give. I think the main thing, again, is to be clear with the Lord. Lord, help me in this. I I feel, Zach, that if your young listeners can talk with the Lord about all that's on their heart, it doesn't matter quite as much if their husbands don't understand them. Mm -hmm. Ray didn't get me. My, I married someone who was really brilliant. I didn't know that when I fell in love with him. I was the smart one. Mm. Then we got married and he, his God just took his brain. He always had a good brain. I just didn't see it when we were falling in love. He was the football player. I was the studious one. Sure. God gave him such a good brain and he could art out argue me anywhere. So I would just get more emotional and mad that he was so smart and I could never win the argument. (laughs) Doesn't he know I've got to win sometime? We would talk through things like that eventually. Mm -hmm. And as we, what advice would I give? I would just say, never give up. Yeah, It's really worth it. And I would also say at the end of those arguments, there can be, be some really sweet reunions right. <laughs> that make it worth it. And you remind yourselves, okay, this is why we're married. Not so that we agree on everything. We're two becoming one. Mm-hmm. And that takes a lot of intermixing and submission and leadership and all those things that God tells us in his word. But the Lord cares about our marriages. He cares that we keep our commitment. Right. He's committed to our one flesh relationship. Therefore, don't give up. Amen. He will help. Amen. Yeah, I, I really love just your repeated emphasis on relationship with the Lord. And, and some people might go, yeah, that's kind of a given. But it's not. It's not a no. given. Especially as you get older. Um, you know, it's perseverance cannot be taken for granted. And, and I just think in my mind, like when that is the focus, my relationship with the Lord is everything in any of my relationships, humanly speaking. If that's true, what does that mean? Well, that means that I'm going to be humbled because no one can have a true relationship with the Lord and like puff themselves up in pride. When you stare at the greatness of God and what he's done in the gospel, if, yeah. if the, the result of that is somehow me being more prideful, 
it probably means I don't really get it. Right. And, um, and so what we've seen over and over again is when there's a, a genuine humility that flows from exactly what you're talking about. Um, humility is fertile ground for perseverance. You know, humility is fertile ground for deference to one another and love for one another. And, um, I, I just feel like when we see marriages that are in crisis, um, you can oftentimes boil it down to pride versus humility. Mm-hmm. And, um, and what you're coaching us towards, Janny, is, is um, a relationship with, with the Lord that has to lead to humility. And, and the Lord just says he blesses humility, right? He yeah. opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Yes, Zach. I really, I really feel that's so good. Um, again, just I would encourage your listeners, especially the wives, ask the Lord for a verse that they can camp on. For instance, the Lord gave me my life verse, Psalm 62, one, my soul finds rest in God God alone. alone. Long time ago, before the ESV ever came out, I was in the NIV. I memorized it. Don't tell our son, Dane, he helped. (laughs) But um, I had to learn to ask myself when I was so struggling with something in our marriage, my soul finds rest in Ray understanding me. Um, you know, finish it. Yeah. My soul finds rest in Ray remembering that I would like a date night once a month. Right. My soul finds rest in Ray not studying till 11 at night. Well, okay. Those are things that I can talk to Ray about, but is that what's truly going to give me soul rest? Yeah. No, only my relationship with the Lord. That is key. Right. So if you're struggling in your marriage, I would encourage you find someone who can coach you, counsel you in your walk with the Lord. If you don't have someone like that, go to the word and beg the Holy Spirit to speak to you personally. Well, Janie, this has been such a beautiful conversation and it's, it's been an absolute joy to uh, chat with you and to learn from your wisdom. And again, I can speak for many people. Um, that I know are so thankful for the ministry that you have and that Ray has and, uh, and that your, your kids have. And so, um, as a little bit of a teaser, we're going to have Janny's son, Gavin on, uh, in a few weeks. So you can look forward to that. But, um, Janny, thank you so much for joining us today. My privilege. Thank you for having me. The Lord bless you. Zach.